Hello, and welcome to Your Living Autopsy, a podcast dedicated to helping you dig in and unpack what's going on within so you can live your very best life. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Ashlyn, and welcome back to Your Living Autopsy. Last week, we broke down your patterns, and it was a dense episode, wasn't it? In my courses, I think it's the most intense part, too, because it's soul-bearing. And once you see how you tick, you really can't unring that bell. And if you can, then that's sort of just another pattern to deal with. (laughs) You might have discovered a pattern in your life that is weighing on you. And if so, you're not alone. The thing is, patterns usually have a root. It could be an event, a pattern born from another person's pattern, or it could be born from a trauma or a crisis. The traumas and crises are what we are going to talk about today. I know, get excited, right? Let's just get this one over with. Just like last week, let's start with some definitions. Trauma is an experience that produces psychological injury or pain. It can also be a physical wound or a shock from violence or an accident. A crisis is a dramatic emotional or circumstantial upheaval in someone's life. I know you know these terms, but sometimes I find it helpful to define it before I work with it. That way, my own definitions don't get in the way. I don't know about you, but in my past, I've had a pattern, see what I did there, of downplaying anything that has gone on in my life. I don't know where I got this, but I go straight to, well, it's not blank. And I fill in the blank with someone else's way worse scenario or circumstance. And because of this tendency, I have had a lot of stuff I've never actually dealt with. You might not be like that at all, and you might go to the other side of the pendulum, feeling like you should make it bigger than it actually might have been, making sure everyone not only knows about it, but pays for it. Neither are helpful, to be honest. And as usual, I'll tell you that denial isn't a true option either. Not if you want to move on with your life and feel like a whole person. Make sure you've grabbed your notes and then go ahead and start thinking about any traumas or crises you've been through in your life. Sometimes traumas turn into crises, so you don't have to have one of each. Just write down what comes up in your head first. And notice how your body responds when you think about this trauma or this crisis. For instance, you have a twinge of nausea. Are you overwhelmed, feeling hot or clammy? Is the actual instance running through your head in high definition and detail? After you've written them down, let's categorize them. Using a scale of one to 10, one being less traumatic and 10 being ridiculously so, jot down a number next to each item you wrote. 
I'm thinking you should work with the most difficult one today, but it's totally your call. And you can always go back through the list with the same techniques on your own pace with all the other ones you wrote. And the same goes for crises. One being the least all-consuming crisis and 10 being the one that brought you down to your knees. Again, you don't have to have one of each. Now, close your eyes. What's the first thing you see? Who is the first person? What is the scenario? What is the aftermath? Just see it. You don't have to write it down. Was what you saw the same as the one you gave the highest rating? If yes, you're on the right track. If no, consider changing your rating. Because obviously the one that popped into your head first is the one that is still plaguing you the most. I have one of each in mind right now. A trauma and a crisis. One of them happened when I was a teenager, the other when I was 30 through 32. If you've seen the cover of this podcast, you've seen the number 19 written to the right of the abdomen. I get questions a lot about that, and I finally get to talk about it. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. I just said I finally get to talk about it. That's funny. Because this is the story I never wanted to talk about for a decade. I guess we can thank growth for that. (sighs) Okay. Spring of my senior year in high school, I met someone who went to another high school. We met at a party that I didn't plan on going to, and it was like a fairy tale. We were inseparable, but we also knew we would have to separate soon enough. He was going to play college football, and I was going to stay in Nashville to go to Belmont University for music business. I was obsessed with him but not enough to change my entire life plan. Hello? Him either. It didn't matter where we were because we were so in love that we were going to make it work. I would drive the couple hours to watch him play during the fall, and then once we finished college, we would get married and have a family. In all seriousness, there was one thing, though. I was a virgin, and I knew he wasn't. I was okay with his choices, but I was pretty adamant about the fact that I wanted to wait for marriage. I told him so. A lot. Like, a lot. (laughs) It was just something I was sure of. I grew up in the South, in Christian culture, and it was a decision that I made, and he said he understood. My birthday is August 28th. Always at the beginning, or close to the beginning of school. This year, my first year of college, was no exception. But while I was still about a week or so out from moving into my dorm, my boyfriend at the time had been at school for a while. Practice. He couldn't come back to Nashville for my birthday, so I drove to celebrate my 19th birthday with him. We went to eat at Piao Chang's, and I saw a horror film that I did not want to see. I'm not really sure why we saw it, because I'm totally not into scary movies. But anyway, we saw it, and we went back to his dorm. 
where I snuck in through the back stairwell. That was the first time I had ever snuck anywhere, and I felt a little squeamish about it, honestly, but but love won that one, and I had no idea that it would be the least of my worries by the time the night was over. I said I wanted to wait for marriage, and I meant it. But here's the thing. The way we were taught, the rules were a little bit black and white. The rule was no intercourse. Done. Fine. No intercourse. But everything else was on the table, and as weird as that is to say out loud on a podcast, there it is. So he and I were fooling around, and I don't believe I was wearing clothes. Also weird to say. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. Sorry, Grandma. And then all of a sudden, I started crying. To this very day, I don't remember why. I don't remember anything that happened to provoke me. But I started crying. And the next thing I knew, I was in pain. Down there. So I said, what are you doing, right? Stop, right? No. Wrong. Once I realized what had just happened, how my life had changed, I did nothing. Well, I guess I did do something because I just kept crying. I didn't say no. I didn't say a dang thing. I just cried. The rest of that night is a blur. And I know I wasn't drunk because I had never had a drink at that point. I'm a rule follower. But I do remember the next morning when I woke up, my first thought was, my life is over. Happy 19th birthday. And to be real, my life was over for a while there. Not literally, but in my 19-year-old head. I didn't tell anyone about what happened. Not a soul. I just drove home in a daze and moved into my dorm a week later, pretending all was perfectly normal. By October, we had broken up. And by early January of the next year, I was desperate to do something. I went to my dad and I asked him for the first time ever if he would write a song with me. You might think, okay, that's easy, but it was really scary for me at the time. I had never written a song before. And if you know my dad, you know that he does not mince words when it comes to being honest. I could not take the rejection of him telling me I wasn't good. So I had never really asked to work with him before. But, like I said, I was desperate. And we wrote a song, Good for Goodbye, which is still one of my favorites. And one of my least favorites for other reasons. <laughs> but writing a song alone wasn't going to fix anything. Because I still hadn't said anything. To anyone, I still had not said the truth. Fast forward to a year after the incident. My best friend, the same one who watched the SVU with me, confronted me mid-wallow. <laughs> I remember 
I felt like she was getting snippy with me, and it pissed me off. She asked me why I couldn't get over him already, and I told her, you don't understand. There it was. That was my end. I had tipped my hand, and so I had to tell her why she didn't get it, why she didn't understand. In a few weeks of time, I had told her piece by piece what happened. It took me five years to tell my parents. And that's only because my mom was cleaning my house while I was on tour, and my cousins were going to live there for a while after getting married. You could tell my mom was nervous. And she told me she found a pregnancy test in a cabinet in a bathroom. It was old, and I had forgotten about it, but it was mine. I was walking on 3rd in West Hollywood toward my hotel. I remember it just like yesterday. My hand was tipped again, so I got ready to say this again. I said, Mom, go get Dad. I am not going to tell this story twice. And finally, it was out in the open. Well, with them. I wish I could tell you I was free after that, that I didn't struggle with shame anymore, that I didn't blame myself for it anymore that it didn't keep me up at night, that the voices inside my head didn't whisper, if anyone knew who you really were, they would never talk to you again. But it was all there, all the time. Still. And on top of that, I was out in public as a freaking pop star, pretending to be something I wasn't. At least, I looked at it that way then. In my head, I was a fraud. I was the worst kind of Christian girl. A liar. In truth, I had a trauma. I had a trauma and I didn't seek help for it. And so it grew arms and legs and took up a lot of space in my body. In my suitcase. It took up so much space that it touched all the other parts of my life. It soiled a lot of my dreams. It colored my choices and partners. It probably affected my music career and my fear of failing. And man, did it torch my self-confidence. I can say it's a trauma now, but at the time, I didn't see it as one. I saw it as a mistake that I alone made even though that's not completely right. I was sure it was my fault somehow, some way, because I knew better and I choked. As you can see, I can talk about it now. It doesn't scare me anymore. I, I won't lie, I'm sitting here thinking, you can't say this on a podcast, you crazy person. Every few lines. <laughs> because I'm worried about the guy. I don't want this to be something that is bad for him, even though I've made sure not to mention anything about him. So hear me. I am not talking about him. Because yes, he was very much involved, but this thing isn't about him at all. Not now. Not for a long time. 
I wish him all the best in his life. I really do. Me telling you this is about what I carried with me for almost 10 years, like a barbell tied to my ankle. Something bad happened. Yeah, it absolutely sucked. But that trauma didn't have to be so traumatic. I could have gone to someone sooner, a neutral party, and gotten it out of my system. I could have asked questions, gotten help, been prepped to tell my parents and my friends in a way that I decided. I could have had support, but I kept it in and it poisoned me through and through. That trauma led to patterns of choosing the wrong partners. It led to self-doubt, to anxiety at such a high degree that I was sure it was just my personality at that point. It led to zero self-esteem and 100% self-loathing. It made me feel guilty. It made me feel dirty. It made me feel used and damaged, and it made me feel like I was just a body. And my life choices followed accordingly. Again, it didn't have to be that way. But I didn't know any better, it turned out. Not at the time. In the interest of time, I'll just quickly tell you that my crisis is, shocker, the divorce at 30 years old. In the aftermath, I guess. It changed my life, more like upended it, blew it up, but it also brought me to the living self-autopsy, so I guess I can't be too mad. Do you have anything in your past, or present for that matter, that you haven't told anyone? Do you have anyone in your past or present who keeps coming up for you in ways that makes your tummy twist? Do you have anything you need to get out of your system once and for all? Even if your trauma or crisis is widely known, is there a piece of it you haven't been able to shake or put words to or come clean about? Is there something lodged inside you that makes you feel like it's punishing you, like you don't deserve to move on? What is that? And what patterns from last week could you attribute to this trauma or crisis? What if you actually took care of it now, once and for all? What would you say to that? And how would it make you feel? I just got chills asking those questions because I remember those moments. If you're like me, maybe you just need someone to tell, someone you trust with the information, just to get started. Maybe you need a therapist because you die before telling anyone about this just yet. Or maybe some self-forgiveness is in order because let's face it, it's not as bad as you think it is when you put light to it. Mistakes are normal. Let me say that again. Mistakes are normal, even helpful if you learn something. So what's the lesson in your trauma? What's the lesson in your crisis? 
Trauma-wise, my lesson was learning how to make a mistake and realizing that I couldn't control everything, not even with a bunch of conversations about my wishes to remain a virgin until I was married. I learned that I was, indeed, human, and that my perfectionism wouldn't save me. Crisis-wise, the lesson was simple. You're going in the wrong direction. You're not being you, Ashlyn. You don't even know who you are anymore. So get back to basics and start from the top. Both are invaluable to me because I would not be where I am today with the man I married or have the feeling like I was the real me for the first time in a long time. What about you? What are your silver linings from your traumas or crises? There's always at least one if you look hard enough. I know this is probably a lot to take in. And I'm sorry if what I told you upset you at all or if it hit home. But saying it out loud stomps the shame and fear out of it. And that ultimately brings healing. Remember, the resources page is there for you if you need it. I am here if you need me. And nothing is so bad that you cannot come back from it. Real quick, back to the definition of a crisis. It also says a crisis can be a turning point, and I completely agree. It all depends on if you work through it, you learn the lesson, and you move forward. Or if you decide just to stand still, let it grow, take up space inside of you, and become the lens in which you see the rest of your world. It's your call. Next week, we'll talk about toxicology. Before I go, I want to thank my dad, Dan Huff, because he created the music for this podcast, and it's awesome. And I also want to remind you that I would love to see you join us for our mini course on getting unstuck, coming up on Zoom. For more information on the time, head on over to howtomoveonandbehappy.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're getting something out of this and I know it will only get more interesting in our next step. Until then, I'm Ashlyn and this is Your Living Autopsy. And remember, today is done, but tomorrow is up for grabs. You got this.